So for two more weeks, we're going to be, um, again, doing something a little unusual for this church, and that's not going through an entire book of the Bible verse by verse. For two more weeks, we're going to go through particular parts of the Scripture verse by verse with a common theme, and that theme being what does it mean to live in this world, to live in this fallen world, to live in a world racked by the effects of the fall, broken by sin, and yet a world still where God reigns right now. God reigns over all of the earth, and the gates of hell will never prevail against us. And as I continue to point out, remember that the the metaphor that Christ uses is that hell has gates, the gates of hell. In other words, they're on the defense. Since Christ, certainly, Satan is on the defense. They're behind gates, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. I'll actually begin reading a little bit in Hebrews 10. Um, just to introduce this chapter, if you'd open your Bibles, though, to Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 10, the, I think the, the chapter divide might have, might could have been a little bit farther before um, the verse that it's on. Because it seems that also the, the theme of faith really begins earlier in chapter 10. In verse 35, he says, And I believe this is Paul writing. Uh, There's some debate, of course, about who wrote Hebrews. But uh, when I refer to Paul, it's just Calvin believed the same thing. um, And there are many reasons why people would choose to believe this. Uh, But just know that we don't know exactly who wrote it. But anyway, I believe Paul says the following in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the idea of of living in this world with endurance and with confidence and faith, with our eyes fixed on Christ and the reward that is promised. This month's Banner of Truth magazine has a a story about a man named Mikhail Korev. He died 10 years ago, well, 2012. He lived in the USSR from 1931 until his death in 2012. Uh, He was a devout Christian. And you should, just because the USSR was an atheist country and because, uh, or an atheist place, and all of the satellite countries were supposedly rid, rid themselves of God completely, You should not suppose that there were no Christians. God preserved his remnant even in those places. Mikhail Korev was a Christian. His mother and father were devout Christians. And this is in the reign of Stalin when he grew up in the 1930s and 40s. Stalin purged society of Christians, purged society of intelligence. He would find college-educated people and kill them, send them to the gulags, He didn't want any threats to his reign. And Christians were part of that. His father was sent to the gulag when Mikhail was eight years old in 1939. Just because he was an outspoken Christian. He was eight years old. They heard that, two years later, they heard that his father had died. His mother continued to raise the children in Christ. Uh after his arrest and death. And Mikhail mentioned that God strengthened her faith. She may have wondered about her husband's 
vibrant faith before his arrest, but after his arrest and death, God strengthened her, and her faith after that never faltered, never failed. And then as Mikhail grew up as a young man, he also became a Christian. In the early 50s, he began planting churches throughout the USSR. These are independent Baptist churches, gospel-believing churches. And he traveled all over the USSR, encouraging churches to be faithful in God and trust his word. And he didn't do this secretly. This is where Mikhail was different from some others. He told the government he followed the laws. He registered all of these churches and told the government exactly what he was doing. So as you could imagine, he was arrested and spent years in prison, years. His wife Vera and their two sons wouldn't see him, the first imprisonment, for two and a half years. And he used the time in prison to start a vibrant prison ministry. He was able to preach the word not only to the fellow prisoners, but also the guards heard the word of God and some were brought to Christ. And he said about that time that these were good days because God showed him that he could use him anywhere and that breaking him was the best thing that God could do to make him useful. He wrote, When I thought about the need to be crushed and bruised in order to be used effectively for God, I knew that it was but a small price to pay for the rewards God was giving me. I knew the closeness of the Lord in my daily life. I knew that he would always provide for me no matter what man would do to me. And that was reward enough. This is the desire of all true Christians, to be used by God, to actually the welcoming, to welcome the breaking by God of of our pride. So what gives people like Mikhail the strength to carry on in difficult circumstances? In a word, it's faith. It's faith in God. That's the message of Hebrews chapter 11. This is the same faith that God has deposited into the hearts of all of his saints. When you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, when you hear people like Mikhail, there's a tendency to think, oh, wow, God really blessed them with faith. He did, but he also blessed you with the same faith. You are also equipped to live courageously for God before the face of God. This is the message of the text of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm actually going to start a few verses before in Hebrews 10. Let's see. Begin reading in verse 32. It's a long passage. Please remain seated, but hear God's holy word. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, 
But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we're humbled by your word and the truth that we see herein, especially as we consider the great cloud of witnesses. These who are mentioned are only a sampling of the millions and millions of your people who have endured similar things in their lives, who have been protected and honored by faith in Christ, lifted up as a sacrifice to yourself. We pray that our lives might be offered up to you as living sacrifices as well. That we might all desire more than anything to please you and live before the face of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about, obviously, faith, the life of faith. How faith in Christ equips us to live for God in our daily lives, every day in a manner that's faithful and courageous, prayerful and hopeful. Remember in chapter 10, uh, actually before where I started reading in verse 19, the apostle mentions that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. This is the anchor of our faith, is the work and the person of Jesus Christ. The new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. He is our great high priest. So let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So Paul says, 
based on the work of Christ and your faith in Christ, we should hold fast our confession without wavering because the one who promised is faithful. Our faith is based on the faithfulness of the one who is never unfaithful, who is always faithful to every word. So we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He says in verse 32, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, for you had compassion on those in prison, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and a more abiding one. So for those who live in this world, he calls you to remember God's faithfulness to you in the past, to remember God's faithfulness to his saints throughout history and previous times of suffering. He says, remember how you encouraged your heart by faith in Christ and the hope of our inheritance. In verse 39, he says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. When trials and tribulation come, these are really the two options that all Christians gravitate toward. And by Christians, I just mean people in church. Those who are true Christians will have faith and preserve their souls. Those who are false Christians will shrink back and be destroyed. Jesus told the parable of the soils. And of those four soils, only one of them was a true, fertile soil. The other three all fell away. Indeed, we see this in every church. We've seen it through every epoch in history. We've seen it in, in, in every country of the world. Trial, tribulation comes in various times, and those who are not Christ fall away. And he says, but you are not of those who would fall away, for you have faith. You are those who have faith and preserve your souls. So it's based on this kind of backdrop that Paul enters this, this history of the saints all through Hebrews chapter 11. And what a beloved, famous chapter of the Bible. We go verse by verse to encourage our souls today. I'm going to hopefully inspire you to remember that these great saints were men and women just like you. Were they special? Yeah, maybe. Were they men and women like you? Yes. These are men who put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. So we go, starting in verse 1, where the apostle defines, gives a definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now this certainly is not a complete definition, but it's the heart of faith. And this first part, this first part of the definition is, is most applicable to the perseverance of the saints as we walk through this world. It's the substance or assurance of things hoped for. Things hoped for are things that we don't presently have. So faith is, is, is an assurance of what we are looking forward to in the future. Paul talks about this in Romans 8.24. He says, For in this hope we were saved, hope in Christ. And hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have or do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. 
So faith concerns things that are unseen, but things that are solid and future. Faith is substance. It's the foundation upon which our hope stands. He goes on to say it's the conviction of things not seen. This is the evidence, the conviction. Notice that evidence is something real and solid. If you're a lawyer and you're defending a client and you bring evidence to the court, you want something solid and real, something that will keep your client from being punished or going to jail for something maybe he didn't do. You want good, hard evidence. And Paul says that faith, although it's unseen, it is, it is the evidence, the conviction. It's the hard facts, although they cannot be touched or felt. How is this possibly an argument? How can faith be solid evidence? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God convicts you and convinces you that what the Word of God says is true and certain. It's not just a potential theory or a speculative formula. When the Holy God tells you that the Word of God is true, you know it's true and you believe it. You have faith because the Holy Spirit makes the Word of God evidence for your lives. Mary Kay and I were listening to an atheist podcast um, as we tried to get weeds out of our garden this week. She did most of the work, but I definitely listened to the podcast. It's it's basically interviewing atheists who have come to, to faith in Christ. And there was a former atheist who was highlighted. Um, he was an empiricist, he called himself. He believed that only things that could be physically proven should be should be um, believed. Nothing outside the visible physical realm was to be accepted. So sense experience was the only source of knowledge. What could be seen or touched or heard or tasted or observed, else it was not real or true. So it's hard to live this way. Even if you're not a Christian, he he made that, that observation. It's hard to live without really believing anything unless you could see it or touch it. But he slowly became challenged by the evidence of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion and his resurrection by friends of his who were Christians. And he studied and pondered and thought. And after he did all of his research, he found that it was true. And he had faith in Christ. He believed all the evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the interviewer said, well, how did you go from someone who only believed what could be seen and tasted and touched and heard with your own ears and eyes and your own mind comprehending it? How did that all happen to to change, to believe in something that is only written down in God's Word? As an empiricist, how did this transition happen? And he said, simple, God gave me a new heart. He gave me faith. See, there's there's no empirical evidence that will convince an atheist of anything. But when God gives you faith, when he gives you the new heart, everything changes. It becomes evidence in itself by the work of the Holy Spirit. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is a gift of God, Ephesians 2 tells us. What God requires, he provides, and he gives us, he gives his children faith. So when you have true faith, faith given by God, and even the weakest faith, this is a gift from God. If you feel like your faith is weak tonight, If you have faith in Christ, it's a gift from God. And you hold on to that. 
He makes clear in his word that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. The smoldering wick talking about weak faith. You feel like your, your faith is so weak you could, hardly, you could hardly withstand any temptation. And yet he will not snuff out that little bit of faith you have. That faith is enough to save your soul and hold on to Jesus Christ. He will preserve you. So this chapter is really an encouragement for all of us to trust God, to buck up and remember this faith that he's given us is solid and certain and true. No matter matter what our present circumstances look like, to have faith in God and all of his promises. Despite the fact that our inheritance is in the future, it's in heaven, it's unseen, and we've never seen Christ, yet we have solid faith. True faith and evidence. It's a bedrock, the Word of God and the character of God. So, our encouragement from all that follows in this chapter, and it's the point of this chapter really, is that from the very beginning of creation until the end, God's people have always lived by faith, by faith in God and His Word. Saints have always struggled mightily against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they will continue until Christ returns. And only those men and women who are anchored in faith, will persevere. And not only that, only these people who had faith in God are acceptable, acceptable to God. It's, it's, it's important not to get sidetracked when you read Hebrews 11 and look at all the wonderful things they did and all the, the good and solid uh, perseverance they showed. That's not the point. The point is they had faith in God. And God enabled them to get through the difficult circumstances of their lives because of faith. Faith is the key. Faith in Christ. Faith in His Word and promises. And it also spoils the notion that somehow Old Testament saints were saved in some different way than we are today. Verse 2, he says, For by faith, by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. People have always been saved by faith in a Redeemer, by faith in God. From Abel, from Adam and Eve, to the end of the universe. It's only by faith that God has saved anyone. They may have seen Christ from a distance. They may not have understood all that there was coming in their future Redeemer. They only had a taste of what this redemption might look like but they were still saved by faith in a coming Redeemer. So, what does this faith give us? How does this faith in God strengthen us today? Well, the first thing, I think the bedrock of our faith is that we understand that God is God and we are not. And that's verse 3. We understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. So that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. God is the creator of the universe. God is the creator of you. And God has all things in his hands. All things are made by the word of his power in the space of six days. And all of it is very good. It should be no surprise that Satan is attacking the doctrine of creation. This is the first thing that someone who has faith knows, and that's that God is their creator, and God is in charge of this world. 
He's infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably, powerfully good and wise. So when the circumstances of life become difficult, like they did for everyone in Hebrews 11, like them, by faith, you hold on to God and his promises for you. So then from verses 4 through 38, Paul shows that faith in God enables steadfast courage in life, no matter how excellent and praiseworthy we see these men and women. It was all by faith in God. Calvin affirms that they all pleased God by faith alone. So this is our takeaway. We live before the face of God. As R.C. Sproul said, as we talked about it this morning, this is, this is the, the locus of our Christian living, is remembering that God is watching and he's a loving God and he's a God who has saved you and he is everywhere. We live before the face of God. So we see throughout this chapter, faith in God, a faith in God's promises, and the result of this faith is obedience. Like those three things see over and over and over again. And I'm going to quickly run through each one. First, in verse 4, we see Abel. Who's Abel? Adam and Eve's son. They had a son named Cain. They had a son named Abel. Cain killed Abel. The first murder. And this portended really what was to come for all of the church until the end of time. Those who are not God's people are his enemies. And they hate the church. The church consisted at that time of Adam and Eve and Abel. And Cain was probably part of the visible community because he was there with them, but he killed his brother. And yet Abel is, by faith, accepted by God and still speaking through his faith. He offered an acceptable sacrifice by faith. It wasn't that he, he brought his first fruits or he brought a lamb. Those things may have been good. But his sacrifice was sanctified by faith in God. And even in his death, his faith in God is remembered. He's the first martyr. He died in firm assurance of God and his promises to him in his word. And he still speaks even in death. In other words, we're talking about Abel. This is a real man. He really lived and he was killed. And he's the very first one in that great cloud of witnesses. He has a front row seat. By faith, Enoch... Verse 5, was taken up, having not seen death, having pleased God. How did he please God? He had faith. He had faith in God. He trusted God. And we want to please God too, and that's why we have the, the kind of this, the note in verse 6. How do you please God? Well, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to Him must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. So talking of this rewarding of those who seek him, this isn't a doctrine of work salvation, far from it. It's not saying that we work really hard, we strive to please him, and so he gives us faith and helps us. Rather, it's the exact opposite. God gives faith to his elect, and that person is humbled to the dust when they see God's glory and holiness, and they see their own unworthiness to receive that grace. Knowing that you deserve nothing but death, and yet you've been given faith in Christ. Knowing that you've been adopted and sanctified and justified, and your whole desire then becomes to please God. You have faith in God and His Word. So certainly those who are without faith have no hope of ever pleasing God. That's the point. 
Those who please God, like Enoch, have faith in God, live before the face of God. They trust His promises and they strive to obey His word. We need to fix our confidence like Enoch on the work of Jesus Christ and on Christ alone because that's where our hope is. It's also Noah's hope in verses 7. In verse 7 we see Noah being lifted up as a man who had faith. Look closely at this particular verse. By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events unseen, as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Noah's faith resulted in a complete trust in God and his word when everything around him said it's not going to happen. It was 120 years from when he got the word until the flood. 120 years, that's a long time. Yet Noah trusted God's word. It was 120 years of, of watching the whole world indulging in pleasure and rebellion getting rich and getting married and just indulging their flesh. This is a people, if you remember, whose hearts, every intention of the thoughts of their hearts were always evil all the time. A completely corrupt world. You think it's bad now. Noah was and his family were the only ones left who were striving to serve God. He didn't give in to temptation when the whole world was falling away. And even though a universal flood that would destroy the world seemed so incredible, he faithfully continued to trust God. Sounds familiar, right? We know that God is coming. We know that there will be a judgment someday. We know that when Christ comes back, he will judge both the living and the dead. The time as we know it will come to an end. And every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know this is coming. And yet, like Noah, we have faith in God and we continue to walk forward day by day, step by step, trusting in God's promises. Verses 8 through 19 really talk about Abraham and Sarah. He's the father of the church, if you will. You realize the promise was for him, the land and the son and all the descendants. He never got the land. He lived in tents. He didn't own anything except a burial plot. And he never got the son. It was 20 years, 25 years waiting for the promised son to be born. And yet he walked along day by day, trusting in God. Sarah also believed God for the child of promise. She believed after a rebuke from the angel. Abraham seemingly didn't waver in the belief that God would give him a son. And yet both are commended for their faith. Isaac and Jacob and Esau commended for their faith in God. Joseph as well commended for his faith in God so much so that he knew that God was going to bring the people of Israel back to the promised land and he wanted his bones brought there to be buried, to be given a Christian burial, if you will. Look at verse 23. Moses' parents are commended. You see, this is regular daily life. This is rubber meets the road, just regular living. She had a baby. She saw that he was beautiful. Not meaning pretty to look at. Meaning they saw the the great redemptive purpose that God would fulfill in Moses by faith. 
And it was a beautiful thing to behold, to contemplate, so they were not afraid to hide the child. Moses' parents had great faith. And then Moses, verse 24, 25, 26, 27. Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. We all face that same choice. The world has much pleasure to offer, and the pleasures of sin are everywhere. They're fleeting. We also should choose to be mistreated, if it comes to that, with the people of God. Verse 26, why did he do it? He considered the reproach of Christ. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. He was reproached just as Christ was. And he was looking forward to the reward. He had his eyes fixed on his king. This enabled him to live courageous, a courageous godly life in a very difficult culture. And he had everything at his fingertips. He had wealth, he had fame, he had power, he had influence. And he left it all because he had faith in God. He led Israel across the Red Sea. They conquered Jericho. So it's not just individuals. God's blessing was applied to the covenant people as a group as they crossed the Red Sea, as they conquered Jericho. Your faith can help this church. Your faith in God bringing you to prayer, bringing you to a trust in his word through conversations you have as we fellowship after the sermons, as we fellowship on home group nights, as we fellowship on Wednesday nights. The words that you say to each other should be building up the faith of each person that you talk to in the word of God. There was a a woman named Rahab. She was living just a normal life, a normal day. Well, she was a prostitute. Um, But this was a normal day for her. And she saw these spies come into this city and she hid them by faith. It's, It's told to us. By faith, this pagan prostitute, this Canaanite, did not perish. She had faith in God. This was a gift of God. She becomes part of the kingly line. Her blood runs through Jesus' veins. Amazingly enough, she trusted God in His promises. And the judges, look at this list of judges. If this doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. These men are all over the map. When you read the book of Judges, these aren't like Joseph kind of characters who are straight and true. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. Okay, maybe Samuel's straight and true. But the rest of them are just regular guys messing up often. And all of God's saints throughout history are just like them in the sense that you have to live day by day. This trust in God, this faith in God really boils down to daily faithfulness, a daily pursuit of God, a daily trust in His Word, living daily before the face of God. Hardships abounded and yet God was faithful and true. And because of this, verse 33, it says they conquered kingdoms and enforced justice 
obtain promises and stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of the fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two. That's the prophet Isaiah. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandered in deserts and mountains and dens of caves. So what are we to do with this whole list of stuff that these people did by faith? It seems incredible that we could possibly have faith like that. Could I have had such faith? Do I have such faith to forsake everything for Christ? To joyfully submit to the confiscation of my property? To face mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment? Do you have the faith to be destitute and afflicted and mistreated with these godly men of whom the world was not worthy? The answer is yes. If you have faith in Christ, you have that faith. These were just men and women. And because of their faith in Christ, this gift of God, they lived courageous lives. Yes, in these highly significant and memorable events. And they were wonderful in all of their, like their place in the plan of redemption is much different from ours. This is very true. Yet faith is still a gift from God. And it enabled them to live faithful lives. And they didn't just jump onto these amazing experiences. It starts day by day. And it's the faith that God gave them. So I'm going to conclude with just three quick admonitions. First, remember God and all of His promises. As you strive to live Coram Deo before the face of God, trust in God and all of His perfections. Trust His Word and His promises to be absolutely true and then obey Him as your Master. When you remember His promises, then you become like these men and women who are looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words, they didn't have fulfillment of all things that were promised here in heaven. Abraham saw none of them except one son. And yet he had hope that God's promises would be fulfilled someday. He was seeking a homeland. He desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. They trusted that God had prepared for them a city. So we have faith in God and His promises. But we apply these promises, the second point, we apply these promises to daily life right here, right now. It's not enough just to know about God. We need to live like it's real and it's true. And if you have faith in God, you will. Yes, you're a wanderer. You're a stranger in exile here on the earth. This is true. But you live life firmly planted with your feet on the earth. You do the work God's given you to do. And you have your eyes and hearts fixed on Christ and your inheritance in heaven. We desire a better country, a heavenly one. Calvin wrote, The true character of faith is to set God always before our eyes. That's the center of faith. That's what Coram Deo means, before the face of God. The true character of faith is to set God always before our eyes. Secondly, that faith beholds high and more hidden things in God than what our senses can perceive. And thirdly, that a view of God alone is sufficient to strengthen our weaknesses 
so that we may become firmer than the rocks to withstand the assaults of Satan. God will give you the faith you need to do whatever it is he calls you to do here if you trust him. Thirdly, this faith and the great expectations of God to live in this way that we read in Hebrews 11, they're for you. This is regular Christian living. You say, well, that's, that's not true. These people did amazing things. Well, look at Abel. He's commended for his faith. All he did was trust God every day and then get murdered. He's commended for faith. Sarah, she was the wife of the great man, of the great patriarch. She lived life with him for decades, faithfully serving him, calling him Lord. And she's commended for her faith. Rahab, lost in sin in a pagan culture, was saved by grace through faith. She was a prostitute. God saved her. Samson, you talk about a man prone to wander, impulsive and tempted, yet he had faith. David, the youngest, the shepherd boy, had faith in God. Nobody knows what God has planned, but we're called to trust God every day, to live courageously and prayerfully and faithfully every day. In the Christian life, the small things are the big things. So God's not called me to be burned or to to be thrown into a lion's den or to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. This is true. But all these things were preceded by a life filled with faithfulness. In the Christian life, the small things are the big things. Are you faithful to wake up and study the Scriptures? Are you faithful to read God's Word? Are you faithful to pray to God, to commune with God? Are you faithful in the the gathering of the fellowship of the saints? Are you faithful to trust God to give you the desire to do these things that He requires, these ordinary means of grace? You will not do anything more wonderful by faith than what you do today by faith. It's a moment-by-moment trust in Christ before God's face. And that's the encouragement we get in chapter 12, verse 1. If, if we have such a great cloud of witnesses who are watching us, is the idea that Paul is, is describing. They're watching us run the race. Then we also should lay aside every sin which clings so closely and run with perseverance. Run with endurance. Not give up. How do you do that? You're not going to be able to muscle it up. You're not going to be able to try harder and fix it. You have to look to Jesus. He's the author of your faith and he's the perfecter of your faith. We look to Christ. Here's the thing. If this great cloud of witnesses only had the faintest glimmer of Christ, the smallest little glimmer of Christ, and they did these things because of the faith God had given them, we who have Complete knowledge of God's redemptive plan as much as it's given to us in the Scriptures. We see Christ plainly. How much more should we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and trust Him every day? How much more should we have faith in Christ? Let us pray. Our God, we thank You for giving us Your Word and we thank You for giving us faith. We thank You that because of the faith of Jesus, the faith in Jesus, because of the work of the Holy Spirit that produces faith in us, that we can live for you. Lord, we pray that each one of us would live lives that please you, 
And if there are any in our midst or any who are listening to this sermon who do not know you, who do not have this life of faith, who only have knowledge but haven't submitted to Christ, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work, regenerate hearts, and produce faith and repentance in the lives of all those whom you would call. Lord, soften us and encourage us and strengthen us for your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.